If you would turn with me to Psalm 20. And again, Father, we do thank you for your word, the precious promise you give us that it never returns void. So Holy Spirit, open up our hearts to what you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's, it's exciting to, to be here. Um, I know a lot of you know that I'm Clayton Towery's cousin. Let's just get the questions out of the way first. Yes, I'm his cousin. Yes, I did lose him in Israel. That, that's, he's here. All right. Uh, Psalm 20. It's a psalm that David wrote. And we're just going to read through it and then go back and talk about it. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen up and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. It's not clear when David wrote this psalm, what he was going through at, at the time. But uh, I think it's an appropriate psalm for us during this season. Uh, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. First of all, who is it that we're going to for an answer? It's, it's the Lord. And we're going to be talking about the name of the Lord as we go through this psalm. But you'll notice in your Bible when it says, may the Lord answer you, all four letters are capitalized. There are capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And when we see that, that's the very name of God, um, Yahweh, Jehovah, however you choose to uh, uh, pronounce it. I am the one that am. That's the name that he gave to Moses. And uh, so when we see that, realize that that's right. Other times when you see Lord and maybe just the first letter is capitalized, that's a, a generic Lord. But when we see this, it's the very name of God. And may he answer you in the day of trouble. Uh, I, I think it goes without saying that th this is a day of trouble. I mean, it's a day of trouble for, for our nation, uh, corporately, for our society, for many of us ind individually. Everything that's going on, the, uh, the sin that just gets more and more prevalent. You know, we talked about some things with some guys yesterday and things that would have been unimaginable that are just in the forefront of things today. The, uh, the elections coming up, the pandemic, monkeypox, um, just, and individually. I know everybody's dealt with a lot over the last couple of years. As a result of the pandemic, people have lost employment, they've lost income, things have been affected, the, Prices have been affected, just any number of things. It seems that there's been more personal tragedy 
in the last couple of years. Maybe I'm just more aware of it by myself, but in the last um, little over two years since this whole pandemic thing kicked off, we've been involved in 42 deaths and not people that we know that it's not like we had 42 people in the fellowship die of COVID. A couple of people that died of COVID that we know of, but uh, people that we were personally associated with, family members of, of people, but just a lot of death, a lot of, a lot of grief. As I talk with some, some of the fellows yesterday and ask them how I could pray for them, one of the things that came up a lot was for my family, you know, things going wrong, the um, marriages suffering, prodigals, just in any number of things. I think we could all say that it's a day of trouble. If it's not for you, it's certainly a day of trouble for somebody that you're associated with. And then David says, may the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Not the name of Israel, the name of Jacob. We know that, that Jacob was given another name. You know, he was born, he, he got the name Jacob, which always puzzles me a little bit because we know that the name means the deceiver, the surplanter, the liar. And I think, what kind of parent names their kids that? You know, you, you hold this baby for the first time and go, yeah, this one looks like a liar. Let's... Uh, <laughs> Usually you don't discover that till they're about eight or ten, but uh, but that's his name. And at one point in time, we're going to talk about that time where he deals with God in his life, and God changes his name, changes it from "You're the deceiver" to "You're ruled by God." But he doesn't say here, "May the name of the God of Israel defend you." The name of the God who is ruled when you're ruled by God, but when you're Jacob again, when you've gone back into being the deceiver, you've gone back into the old nature, may he defend you even then. And that started me thinking about, well, who was the God of Jacob? I mean, I know who he was, but what did he mean to Jacob? What was the, the process there? What did he go through? And I look at the, the encounters that Jacob had with God and how he referred to God at that point in time. The first time we really see Jacob dealing with God is in Genesis 28. And you know, you know the story, Jacob deceived his father, deceived his brother. He got the blessing, he got the, he got the birthright, uh, you know, he, he got everything uh, along with a contract put out on him by his brother Esau. Uh, this, this is sibling rivalry. And uh, Esau's going to kill him. And, and he was quite capable of it. So their mom comes to him and says, you know, Jacob, you got to, listen, go live with Laban, your uncle, for a little while till things cool off. You know, I'll talk to Esau. You know how he is. We'll give him some more soup. Everything will be fine. And, uh, and Jacob heads out. And on his journey, as he's walking through the, the wilderness, and, and if you've ever been to Israel, you know that there's a lot of wilderness. And really wilderness, wilderness. And he's so tired that he stops in this place and he goes to sleep and he uses a pillow for a rock. He uses a pillow for a rock. Let's put that the other way. He uses a rock for a pillow. If he used a, a pillow for a rock, now okay, that's about... But, yeah. We just rewind that. And, uh, okay. But he's sleeping on a rock there. And he, he has a dream, he has, has a vision, and he sees this ladder 
the stairway that goes from earth to heaven, this passageway, this way to, to God, to a relationship with God. Jesus tells us later on that that's a picture of him, that he is the only way, that only bridge between sinful man and heaven. But Jacob realizes that there's, there's something unusual here. And he says, this place is Bethel. This is the house of God. And he was right. It was the house of God. But it was the house of God not because of the special rock that he slept on, but it was the house of God because God was with Jacob. But he didn't get that just yet. So he names this place Bethel. And the Lord deals with him on some things there and gives him some promises and says, this is what I'm going to do. And, and uh, Jacob, being the deceiver, the conniver, said, well, I'll tell you what. If, if you do this for me, if you bless me like you say, if, then, then, then I'm going to serve you. So you bless me and then I'll serve you. So we see him going to the uh, to live with his uncle Laban and all the deceit that goes on there. You know, he wants to marry and his sisters are switched and livestock is switched. It's just a, just a miserable time there as these two crooks, you know, just go back and forth trying to outfox the, the other one. I move my hands a lot when I talk. I had a guy come up to me yesterday and I was telling somebody a story and he put his arms around me and grabbed my arm. He goes, go ahead, tell the story again. And... <laughs> And I couldn't. <laughs> it's bad enough when I distracted you, but I, now I've distracted me. Um, <laughs> anyway, they go back and forth, and they're conniving and me messing with each other. And Jacob finally figures, I've got to get out of here. I have to leave. I have to go back. And so he leaves, and he's headed back. He's got Laban coming after him. They come to this, this place, Mizpah, and make this covenant, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, the Lord watch between you and me. And now they've got jewelry, you know, this little Mizpah jewelry, you got a heart and it's, I'm sorry, and it's cut in half and, you know, you give half to somebody else and it's supposed to be this sweet, the Lord watch between you and me. And that sounds real good, but what they meant by the Lord watch between you and me is the Lord's got my six because I don't trust you and if I don't have eyes on you, who knows what you're going to do? And they both feel that way. But as he comes to this place, and as he's heading back, he has the encounter where his name's changed. He's got Laban on one side, who he doesn't trust, and he's not fully convinced Laban's still not coming after him. He's going back to the land. His brother Esau's there. Last time he had any dealings with his brother Esau, you know, Esau said, I'm... I'm going to kill you. And uh, Jacob doesn't know if that's still the situation or not when he goes back. So he ends up in the night wrestling with a man, wrestling with an angel. And we know that it's the Lord. Jacob ends up knowing that, that it's the Lord, as we're going to see. And in the process of this whole thing, the Lord touches his hip and puts his hip out of joint, makes him, makes him lame. And says, I'm going to change your name now. You're no longer going to be, be called the deceiver, the liar. From now on, you're going to be called Israel, ruled by God. Because you've come into this relationship with me. You have, have submitted to me. And so Jacob calls that place Pineel, meaning the face of God. I've, I've seen God face to face, 
and my life is preserved. Later on, as the story continues, as he gets back into the land and his, his uh, sons grow up, some of them are already growing. But there's an instance in, in Genesis 35, and what happens in, in, in Genesis 34? In Genesis 34, his daughter Dinah is assaulted by, uh, by a pagan guy, Shechem. And, but Shechem wasn't just after the physical thing. He loved Dinah, and so he wanted to, wanted to marry her. And so went to the family and said, hey, let's, I, I want to marry her. And the brother said, sure, that, that, that's fine. We can, we can work that out. Um, but there's certain things we have to do because we can't let our, our sister marry an uncircumcised guy. So what you need to do is we want all, all your men circumcised. And then when they heal up and everything, we'll have this wedding ceremony. And uh, they're very deceptive about it. And all the guys get, get circumcised. And we, we all know what what circumcision is, and uh, it's usually done to, uh, to babies, you know, because the baby can't say, what are you doing? No, forget it. Uh, <laughs> but all these guys submit to it, so they, they're, it's, it's, they're not able to go to war. They're just, they're not physically. And the brothers go in and they deal with all these people. Now Jacob, his response to it is, look what you've done. You made me look bad. That's it. Not that you've killed these people. Not that you've deceived them. Not that you've shamed uh, your sister. But you made me look bad. Still the same guy. And the reason, I mean, everything that the, that the patriarchs did, they did because they learned it from their dad, right? You know, we've, we've watched you all along. We know how things work. Uh, you know, this is just, just a family trait. That's who we are. You know, we're just... We're just deceivers, and we're good at it. So in chapter 35, God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel, dwell there, and make an altar to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. And so they, they gave Jacob all their foreign gods, which were in their hands, the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob <laughs> hid them under the terebinth tree, which was at Shechem. Now when it says he hid them under there, it wasn't a matter of, okay, let's take all our foreign god stuff, and we're, we're going to hide it here. We're going to go do what we have to do to God, and now we know where we hit our stuff, we're going to come back. No, it was, it was buried, it was gone. They were doing away with it. They were turning away from that pagan worship. And it says, as they journeyed, the terror of God was uh, upon the people all around them that they didn't pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there. And he called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of Laban. So now God calls him to go back to Bethel. Go back to the place where you first knew me. Go back to the place where you first encountered me. And as Jacob does that, as he, re, as he repents, as he has his family um, repent, 
he names the place El Bethel, God from the house of God. So he still doesn't quite have it, but he's getting closer all the time. And then finally, the last encounter that we really see with Jacob is in Genesis chapter 46. He's, uh, all this time, all, all these years, he's thought his, his favorite son, Joseph, has been killed. He's lost his son, Benjamin, probably, to, to Egypt. The brothers finally, when they're in Egypt, Joseph finally reveals himself to them and said, I'm, I'm Joseph. He sold me into slavery. What God meant, what you meant for evil, God turned around for, for good. And so they go back and they get Jacob, you know, your son's, son's alive, Joseph's alive, which that must have been a great conversation. You said he was dead. You said an animal killed him. What, what, what happened? Well, we don't, we don't know. I mean, maybe the animal wasn't that hungry. Not sure. But uh, <laughs> so they're going back down. Jacob's an old guy by this time, an older guy. And the Lord speaks to him on the way there. And he says, go down to Egypt because I am with you. Jacob's gone from this is the house of God to I've seen the face of God to this is God from the house of God where I first met him to God saying, I'm with you. It's not about Bethel. It's not about I'm the God of this place. I am your God. I'm with you wherever you go. Go down to Egypt. We'll pick up the story later. May he send you help. We're back in uh, Psalm 20. May he send you help from the sanctuary, strengthen you out of Zion. May he send you help from the sanctuary. You know, we, we talk about this room is the sanctuary. Let's go into the sanctuary. And that's fine. But uh, sanctuary just means a safe place. It's a place of refuge. Um, growing up in the Catholic Church, there was a, a thing called sanctuary. And it's from the Old Testament where you would go in and you, hey, I'm here, you can't touch me, I'm by the altar. Uh, I don't know if that works anymore. Now we've got sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. And, um, but the place of, of safety, place of protection from Zion. When I think of Zion, I always think of a place of the rule of God. It's used interchangeably a lot through the, through the scriptures. Talk about Jerusalem, talk about Zion. It's, it's all the, the same area. But Zion talks about the ruling of God. So he'll answer you from a place of safety, from a place where, where he rules. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. The word that's translated offerings there, because there's two different things here, the offerings and the burnt sacrifices. The word that's translated offerings, it's a Hebrew word um, used 74 times through the Old Testament. It's your homework for this week. Find the other 73 places. And uh, I'll be sending out the test this week. But uh, it's a Hebrew word, uh, menkah, and it means a, a donation. Um, it's specifically a, an offering that doesn't involve blood. They had, they had all the animal sacrifices and everything, but they also had other offerings, free will offerings and things that, that, that didn't involve the slaughter of an animal. And that's the word that's used here. May he remember all your offerings. And as we look at 
the things we've done for the Lord, whether it's financial offerings we've done, whether it's service we've, we've done for the Lord, whatever, whatever those, those things are. David is saying, may the Lord remember all those things. Yeah, you're, you're, you're still Jacob. You're, you're messed up. You're doing a lot of stuff. But as we go before God and he answers us, he's going to be answered from his sanctuary, his place of rule. And he's going to remember all your offerings. Not that we buy our way into God's favor, but he looks on those things. And may he accept your burnt sacrifice. Now, the burnt sacrifice is totally different than the offering. This is, well, it was a burnt sacrifice. It was put on the altar, and it was burnt. That's why they call it a burnt sacrifice. They were pretty, pretty good with labels back then. Now, how does that apply to us? Because we really don't have burnt offerings anymore. Well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul writes, I, I beseech you, I'm, I'm begging you to, by, by the mercies of God. And Paul isn't saying, I, my begging, my pleading is not by the mercies of God. It's I'm pleading with you that you would do the thing I'm going to ask you to do here by the mercies of God. Because you, you can't do this by yourself. You need the mercies of God to be able to, to do this. That you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, a willing sacrifice, that we go before the Lord and say, I'm, I'm yours. I, I am your, your sacrifice. Whatever you desire to do, whatever you have for, for my life. And it goes on to say that it's a living sacrifice. We're not going to die through it. Holy, acceptable to God. And we might think that, okay, well, once I'm holy and once I'm acceptable to God, then I'm going to go ahead and present my bodies. No, you are holy. You are acceptable to God. He sees that. He knows you're Jacob. He sees all that. But he also knows that he's made you Israel. He's made you ruled by God. And he sees you as holy. And he sees you as acceptable to God. And it says it's your reasonable service. Not super saint stuff. Not, well, you know, there's these, you know, I read about George Mueller, you know, and he was, uh, and, uh, and Chuck Smith and all. No, it's your reasonable service. Each one of us, it's our reasonable service to place ourselves at God's disposal to do with as he wishes. Don't be conformed to the, to the world. And it's so easy to be conformed to the world because it's all around us, the world. And even the church so often wants to be conformed to the, the world. We, uh, we just put in new TV screens in our, in our sanctuary. We had, uh, we had been to another church for a conference, and they had just put up TV screens. And I thought, that's, that's pretty cool. Maybe we should do that. And uh, we got to church the next Sunday, and, and the projector broke. And I thought, well, maybe the Lord's saying we need to get TVs. So, so anyway, we got the TVs, we mounted them. It, it, they're, they're nice, they're really cool. But the problem with making improvements and making things nicer, there are always people that want to be conformed to the world. You know, and we'll do something like put up neat 
TVs, and then you've always got some guy saying, you know what? We need to get a smoke machine now. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an old Baptist church that, that we meet in, and, you know, there's a baptism, you know, we can get a smoke machine, we can put it in a baptismal during worship, you know, the smoke pour out. No, we're not, we're not going to do that, you know. And it's not that you're, you're unsaved if, if, you get, if you get a smoke machine. Uh, that's between you and the Lord, but examine it carefully. Uh, but just a, a lot of aspects of our life, of church life, we can be conformed to the world. But to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the word of God, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, some people would try and separate that. You know, they'll say, well, there's the, there's the good will of God. He's okay with that. There's the acceptable will that, well, well, but okay. And then there's the perfect will. No, it's all one. It's the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. There's the will of God, and then there's the not will of God. And he says, make yourself that sacrifice, holy and acceptable, that you might prove. And it's not that you would prove it to yourself. It's that you would prove it to the world, that the world would look at you and they would see Jesus Christ. Goes on to say in verse 4, May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Now when it talks about granting according to your heart's desire, that doesn't mean, okay, may, may God give me everything I want. You know, because I've really been looking at that new iPhone. And I'd like to get that before the next new iPhone comes out next week. And uh, I really want this, I, I want this car. You know, when I was a teenager, I just, I just, I wanted a Camaro. And now I can, yeah, now just, let me get a Camaro or, or whatever the, the case might be. That's not what it's talking about. He would give you your heart's desire. And I think that's explained for us in Psalm 37. In Psalm 37, in verse 3, David writes, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, feed on its faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And I've always looked at that as a, a progressive thing. First, trust in the Lord. What does it mean to, to trust in the Lord? Well, you come into a saving relationship with him. You come to the cross and confess that, that you're a sinner because you're like everybody else, and there's none good, no, not one. And your life is, is messed up on your own. And you acknowledge that Jesus made that sacrifice to pay for your sin, for the depravity in your life. And you trust in God. And then you do good. What does that mean, doing good? Well, it means doing good. Uh, what the world would refer to as being a Christian. You know, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Sometimes people, sometimes we, can be at the point that, okay, I'm, I'm going to really serve the Lord when? when? When the kids are out of school, I'm really going to serve the Lord. When I retire, I'm really going to serve the Lord. When I get X amount of money in the bank so that I'm secure, I'm really going to serve the Lord. When whatever, fill in the blank. Well, that, that's not it. Or sometimes we think, okay, God has given me this vision to do that, and I'm just, I'm just going to focus on, on that. No, dwell in the land. Where does the Lord have you now? 
What does he have you doing uh, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church? Where, where does he have you? Dwell there. Just, you know, you're not there for the, for the weekend. Dwell there and feed on his faithfulness in that place. Dwell there and feed on his faithfulness. Get to know him. Get to know what, what he wants to do, what he desires to do in your life, what he is doing. Delight yourself also in the Lord. I like that word delight. It, it's different than, you know, I like something. You know, there's I like something and there's I delight in something. We have 16 grandchildren at last count. I've been gone since Friday, you know, who knows? Uh, but 16 at last count. And uh, I delight in them. I, everything can be going wrong, you know, if whatever, house repairs, money, whatever. And one of those sweet little girls comes in, holds out her arms and grandpa and sits up on my lap, wants to look at pictures on my phone. And I delight in that. That's nothing else matters. It's just I delight in this little girl. They walk in and I delight in them. Delight yourself also in the Lord. That I'm, hey, I'm, I'm thrilled to be in your presence, Lord. Lord, you, you delight me. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Not give you what you want. He'll give you the desires not fulfill those desires. That's not what it says there. He will do that, but he'll give you the desires of your heart. He will tell you what it is that your heart should be desiring. You find yourself, as you do those things, trusting and doing good, dwelling in the land, feeding on his faithless, delighting, you find that, okay, you've got a desire in your heart. And it's, it's not a desire for a car. It's, it's a desire for, what do you want me to do, Lord? I didn't think he wanted me to teach children's ministry. Last thing from my mind, but as I've done these things, I, I now have this desire to do this. I have a desire to go on the mission field. I have a desire to, uh, to do these things. So when it, back in Psalm 20, when it says, he'll grant you according to your heart's desire, the things that he's put in your heart, the things that he's shown you that he desires to do in your life and that He'll fulfill those things. He'll fulfill them. He will, he will take care of it. Our job is not to try and make that work. Our role is to dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. He'll, he'll fulfill the desires. Going on in the psalm, in verse 5, we will rejoice in your salvation. And the why there should be capitalized, I think. It's not, you know, I rejoice that you got saved. It's I rejoiced in your salvation, the salvation that, that you have, have given me. I rejoice in that salvation. I heard about a, an old pastor that periodically, you know, he'd be given a servant, and periodically, you know, I'm talking about Psalm 20, I'm saved. And, you know, and just periodically, just bursting forth with, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm, I'm saved rejoicing in his salvation. And in the name of God, we will set up our banners. I love that verse. In the name of God, we will set up our banners. What does it mean to set up a banner? In the military, 
in those days when you would set up a banner, it would be a, a rallying point. You know, okay, here's, here's the chariot banner, all the chariot guys, get over here. You know, here's the, the archers, all the archers, get over here. But when we, when we set up banners, it, it's, it's a declaration. You remember when they landed on the moon? I shouldn't say I remember that because I see a lot of people in here that you, you, you read about it in your history book. Well, there came a day when man landed on the moon. And, and what they did was they planted an American flag there. Why? They, they set up their banners. See, the thing is, it's our moon because we put a flag there. We let the rest of the people in the world use it, but it's our moon. How do we know it's our moon? Because we've got our banner set up there. That's ours. We staked that out. Muslims build mosques. And, you know, we, we build churches when there's a congregation. People, they need a place to meet, so we build a church. They build a mosque whether there's people there or not. And the reason for that is because when they build a mosque, they've claimed that place. That now belongs to Islam. Whether anybody comes or not, in their mind, we've claimed this place. It belongs to Islam. That's why there was such an uproar that they wanted to build a mosque at 9-11. It was, we're going to claim this place that we destroyed. Oh. Setting up our banners. Iwo Jima. You know, most of you have seen the pictures of Iwo Jima. You know, it's the five guys that are putting the flag up. And, you know, I mean, it's just a, it's a cool picture. And it was claiming an island. It was claiming victory as they went across the Pacific. A few years ago, I was working with um, the Billy Graham organization as a disaster chaplain. And we were at a disaster site in Mississippi. And uh, we went to this guy's house. This guy lived right on the water, taking a lot of damage because of the hurricane that came through. And we're talking to the guy, and uh, we find out that he's a, a retired uh, Navy officer. You know, when I was in the Navy, we talked about that a little bit. The two other chaplains that were with me were both former Marines. So he's talking to us, and he said, you know, you know what my job was at one point in time is... I instructed Marines in amphibious assault, you know, how to take an island. And uh, I thought, well, that, that's pretty cool. And uh, he says, come with me. So we go into his garage that's been kind of destroyed by the hurricane and go over to his workbench. And, you know, he's got all the little wooden drawers with stuff in it. And he opens up one drawer and he takes out these two test tubes. And he says, here. And he hands us these test tubes. And I thought... Okay, uh, what's this? He said, you see that black sand that's in there? Yeah, it's from the beach in Iwo Jima. And the emotion that came over, the emotion that's over me right, right now, holding that, that, that precious sand that, that so many Americans died for, bled for, on that black sand, symbolized by that picture of those Five guys raising up that flag. I was going to bring it for a visual aid, but I realized that some TSA guy take it, and 
he'd have a good story now. So I just tell you about it. But just that whole symbolism of setting up the banners. And it says, we set up our banners. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Psalm started off with, may the Lord, may the name of the Lord, may the name of the God of Jacob and all the things we talked about. And now we set up our banners in the name of the Lord. Well, what, is, what does that mean? In Exodus chapter 34, great chapter, it's where the Lord declares his name. I mean, he's, he's told Moses so far, you know, my name's Yahweh, Jehovah, however uh, they, they pronounced it. But the situation in, in Exodus there is there, well, Moses is arguing about God which, of course, none of us can identify with because none of us has ever argued with God about anything. But Moses is, is arguing with him, and, and he says, Moses says, you, you know, you know my name. You know who I am, and now you're asking me to go with, with this rebellious people who, by the way, neither one of us are particularly pleased with right now, and I need to know, who, are you going to go with me? Who's going to go with me? Show me your glory. You don't show me your glory, I'm, I'm not going. That's it. What are you going to do about that? And the uh, Lord says, well, my, my presence is going to go with you. My Holy Spirit is going to go with you. He says, I need to see your glory. I want to know who you are. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to proclaim my name to you. I'm going to explain my name to you. I'm going to tell you exactly who I am. And in Exodus 34, verse 4, so Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first one. And Moses... By, by the way, you realize there were two sets of Ten Commandments. The first set of Ten Commandments, Moses comes down from the mountain. They've got the golden calf, calf down there. There are things going on. And Moses takes the tablets of the law, and he throws them down, and he breaks them. The law has been broken. The important thing about that is the law never went into the camp. The people were never put under the law because Moses broke it first. The second time, he gets the tablets. He's given all the provisions for the priesthood and sacrifice and everything so it could come in. That's just a bonus study. Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And now the Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh, the name of Jehovah. He explained it. And the Lord passed before him, and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, literally thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the Father, upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And when we set, we set up our banners in the name of the Lord, that's what we're setting up. You know, people should be drawn to us because of mercy, grace, long-suffering, forgiveness, goodness, and truth. Not that we don't address sin. It's not that okay, we're just going to be fine with everything and everybody. 
because we don't want people to be offended, you know, because we want them to come to, you know, sweet Jesus, meek and mild like a little child. And no, there's, there's judgment in that name too. But there's mercy and there's grace. And when people come to us, when people are drawn to the fellowship, when people are drawn to us individually, the banner that we have set up, this, this is what I am I'm staking out, you know, is I serve a God who is mercy and grace and truth and forgiveness. And you can come, come to me. You can come to our, our, our fellowship, and that's what you'll find. You're not going to be judged because of the sin or the depravity in your life. You're going to be changed. You're going to be delivered from it. And we set up our banners in that. We don't... I don't want to offend anybody, but yeah. hey, here goes. Uh, we, don't, we don't set up our banners in the name of Donald Trump. You know, I, I like Donald Trump. I like a lot of the stuff that he did for He's He's not the Messiah. He's not going to save the country. If Donald Trump gets elected, we're going to have four years of him going after the guys that went after him for the last years, and then we'll have four years of the guys going after Donald Trump. It, it's just, that's, we set up our manners in the name of our God, merciful and gracious. You're not going to be saved by the, by the, we have a stewardship, don't get me wrong, we should be out voting, we should be vote righteously, we should vote pro-life, but we set up our banner in the name of our God. Back to the psalm. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. I know that. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We will remember the name of the Lord our God. We will remember Exodus 34. We will remember the name of the God of Jacob as he came to him repeatedly over and over. Jacob doesn't matter how many times you've blown it. I'm here for you. I am with you. Saved Lord, may the king answer us when we call. In finishing the story of, of Jacob, the story really finishes, I feel, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you know, we refer to that as the, the hall of faith, all these patriarchs, all these uh, individuals from the Old Testament and how God worked in their life and the things that he did. And uh, it's, it's a magnificent chapter. It's something that uh, we encourage ourselves with. It. But it talks about Jacob in there. Again, he's not referred to as Israel. He's Jacob. And it goes through the list of all these people and what they did. In verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. As he was dying, after all the things that we went through in the um, book of Genesis about Jacob, now at the end of his life, he's there in Egypt. He's been restored 
with his favorite son, Joseph. He's met his, his grandsons. Uh, and it comes time for, for him to die. And he's going to lay hands on them and, and bless them. And it says that he did that. He passed on this patriarchal blessing. He passed on this blessing from God. Passed on the blessing that, you know, he had deceived his brother so that he would have that blessing coming down. But he puts his hands on those two guys and he blesses them. But the key there is not the blessing. That's really not, I don't think, our takeaway from the verse. Our takeaway from the verse, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on his staff. He's leaning on his staff. You remember in the story we talked about he's coming back, you know, he's got Laban behind him, he's got Esau before him, finds himself wrestling with God, and God touches his hip, puts his hip out of joint. It's never healed. His hip is out of joint. For the rest of his life, this, this guy's limping around. And he's got, he's got a staff. He's, he's leaning on it here at the end. We could probably use some other words there. And he worshiped, leaning on his crutch. And he worshiped, leaning on his cane. He worshiped, leaning on his, on his walking stick. Why did he have this? What, what, why did he need to have this stuff? Because his hip was out of joint. Because, you know, and, and some of you have, have joint pains. And uh, I used to kind of laugh about it when I was younger. People, ah, yeah, my knee hurts. And say, yeah, so what? And, uh, you know, now I find that I got stuff that hurts. And the older you get, you, you know how you get something to stop hurting? Something else in your body starts hurting more. And, and, and that's it. You know, man, my shoulder's killing me. And I, I got up this morning and, oh, my knee. Well, what about your shoulder? That's nothing. It's my knee. And, and that, that's how it goes. Now, here's this guy, Jacob. For decades... His hip is out of joint. He's in pain. Every step that Jacob takes is painful. Every step, every painful step that he takes reminds him of the fact of God did this to you. Not because he was punishing to you, but because he wanted you to know that you need to lean on him every step of the way. You think Jacob ever got discouraged about his hip? Of course he did. You know, he was, he was in the flesh. I think he got discouraged every morning. I think he got discouraged on, I think that's why God had to tell him as they came down to Egypt, I'm with you. Because he's thinking, I can't walk all the way to Egypt. You know, what's, what's this? Yeah, you got a cart, but that's bumpy. This is no help. Uh, a lot of turbulence riding across a cart in the desert. Once again, I distract myself. But... Uh, <laughs> But this place of infirmity, this place of weakness, is also a place of worship. He worshiped in his infirmity. He worshiped in what God had to do with him all this time. And it was a place of worship. And isn't that what the Lord does with us? You know, maybe you're here today and and you're like Jacob in that first place. So you're just really coming into a place of understanding Bethel. 
the God is in this place. You know, there is a God. I've, you know, I've been saved this, that, and there's a Bethel. Or you might be in a place where you, you are like Jacob so many times, and you're just suffering the consequences of your own actions. You put yourself in that place. You are where you are because you messed up because you did this. Maybe you're in a place where you need to come back and you need to be submitted to God like you never have been before, like Jacob when his name was changed. Maybe you're in a place where as a result of your life, your, your family's just messed up like Jacob was. And you need to come back to Bethel, to that place where you first met the Lord. That place where, you know, Jesus tells the church of Ephesus in Revelation, he goes, you're doing all this stuff. You're doing this, you're doing this. You, dynamite, you're just doing great stuff. But I got one thing against you. You left your first love. Return. Maybe that's where you are today. But know that God is always there for you, regardless of where you find yourself on that path. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger from Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning the thing, I pleaded to the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast of my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So as we come together today, and as Grayson comes back up to lead us in worship, may the Lord answer us in day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob answer us from the sanctuary and from Mount Zion. May he remember all our offerings. May he uh, cause the desires of our heart to be fulfilled. May he return to us. May we be in a place where we can look at those things that have gone wrong in our life that God has, has redeemed and changed around. The things that he has just brought us through and bringing us to. And those very things can be a place of worship as we lean on the staff.